All right, since you're all so quiet, I'm going to assume you're ready for me to start now and I'm not going to give you a minute. Is that okay? All right, I'm getting a thumbs up, so I will go ahead and start. Let me uh, first commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the Lord uh, Jesus as we were thinking about uh, our many reasons to uh, give thanks, to uh, be thankful to you. Uh, at this time, we want to uh, go back and think on your earthly ministry and the fact that uh, your desire was to, to bless people, to bring them uh, God's gift of eternal life. And uh, we want to be thinking about uh, that today and uh, how, how you're offering us your gift and how our uh, mentality could be affecting our being able to receive it. We ask for anyone who doesn't know you that as a result of uh, this, uh, this time together might become more open to receiving that gift. We thank you for your love to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a question for you. I like to start with a question if possible. And my question today is, um, where do you get your self-worth? your self-worth. Some might say self-esteem. Uh, where does that come from? How, how is it that you determine um, what your value is? And let me start uh, that with an illustration. Uh, my kids have gone to uh, public school. I should say, are going to public school, even though now it's uh, through remote, remote or distant learning. And uh, they had a music teacher in their elementary school. What was his name? Mr. Gleason. Mr. Gleason was the music teacher. And uh, he wanted his students to learn uh, the recorder. And uh, he found that uh, it was helpful to uh, give them the incentive uh, to learn the recorder by uh, giving them, kind of like uh, you have in uh, martial arts, you get belts. So you start at the white belt, and then when you master a certain level, you move on to yellow belt, and then other belts. And the, the highest belt typically is the black belt. And so he would give them these little uh, pieces of music to learn. They would play it on the recorder. And when they mastered that uh, piece, then they would get a belt. And then they would get a more difficult piece to learn. And uh, when they would master that, they would get the next belt. And uh, my children have all done fairly well. Uh, they're, they're gifted, uh, they're uh, diligent, and they're competitive. And uh, the last uh, one to have advanced is Joey. So Joey is in sixth grade, which is the highest grade in elementary school. And uh, last year, during, uh, when, when things kind of shut down and we moved to distant learning, he had a lot more time on his hand. And so we encouraged him to use that as an opportunity to advance in his uh, music uh, class, in his recorder playing, and uh, learn those music pieces and uh, gain additional belt. And he did. He, he made it all the way to, I believe, first degree black belt. And uh, he was very proud of, at that, and you know, we, you know, we lauded him for his, for his effort and accomplishment. Um, and, uh, and that's great, but 
Uh, this week, I came home, I think it was Monday, it might have been Tuesday, and I found Joey very upset. Uh, and uh, as I was trying to find out what went wrong, well, what went wrong is one of the other students was able to play the recorder better than he was. And this was a student who last year was uh, significantly below him in the belt order, and yet somehow this student was able to play a music piece that Joey was struggling with. Um, we may have, uh, and, and the connection is Joey was uh, drawing his self-worth from how well he was doing in his music, uh, the belt that he had, this first degree black belt, and so when, when a person who was below him made it above him, uh, Joey felt lowered in his own eyes. He lost some of that self-esteem he had for himself, and that was very painful for him. We may not uh, value ourselves based on, on uh, how well we play the recorder, but we might value ourselves based on, on other things like our education. Uh, I, uh, I have a doctorate in, uh, in engineering from Berkeley, and you know, I, could, I could feel that that is showing that I am uh, better than other people. Or uh, I may have a career uh, in my career, I'm an engineer, I'm, I'm fairly well paid, and I can use that to consider myself better than other people. Or I might uh, look at my Facebook account and see that I have many friends, uh, and I might think that I have more friends than other people, and so I'm better than other people. Or I might uh, consider my uh, spiritual accomplishment uh, and, and the way the, the Lord used me over time, uh, or oh, my ability of, of abstaining from certain behavior that I consider to be ungodly or not spiritual, and think myself as better uh, than other people. And yet, uh, I might find one day to be in trouble because of it. I might find that I'm not nearly as good as I thought, and, and someone else is better than I am in one or more of these categories, and I will be lowered uh, in my own sight. So there is a danger. There's definitely, we can definitely get in trouble in where we're drawing our self-worth from. Uh, in fact, we can see that all these things could become more of a liability uh, to us uh, than a benefit. And we'll see that happen uh, in our passage today as we look at it, uh, Lord willing. Okay, we are in the book of Matthew. Uh, we'll finish up chapter 13 today, and we'll start in verse 53. So Matthew 13:53. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished his parables, if you remember, Really, all of chapter 13 up to now was Jesus uh, speaking one parable after another to the people and then to his disciples. When Jesus had finished his parables, he departed from there. If you remember, he was at that time at the side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, speaking from a boat to the people and then later in the house, speaking to his disciples. 
but now he departed from there. Verse 54, when he had come to his own country, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. We, uh, <coughs> as we were going through the uh, Gospel of Matthew, uh, we found, we would have found in Matthew chapter 4, that when Jesus began his public ministry, he was in Judea. He was declared to be the Messiah by John the Baptist. And uh, it was there that he started gathering disciples. And in Matthew 4:12, it says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. So he, when he went back to Galilee after his ministry in Judea, he didn't focus it in Nazareth, the city where he was from. Instead, we're told he dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, by the Sea of Galilee, which was the region where the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali were. We might ask why. Why did Jesus do that? And at least one reason given here is prophecy. <clears throat> Verse 14, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. There was a prophecy that said the Messiah would uh, focus his ministry, or perhaps begin his ministry, uh, in the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, uh, by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, now, there may have been other reasons why Jesus chose to begin his ministry there, and some of them might become apparent in our passage uh, today. But uh, we want to think about the offer. Jesus came to the nation of Israel with an offer. They were the people who sat in darkness. They did not know uh, the gospel. They didn't know uh, really who God was. They didn't know of God's uh, provision for them for eternal salvation. And Jesus came to give that. He was the prophet sent by God to open the eyes of the blind and show them that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have uh, everlasting life. He came to, to offer them 
uh, eternal life. Upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has done. The light that delivers us from death, the light that delivers us from damnation. Uh, Jesus came to offer himself <coughs> as the Messiah. It says that from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven <coughs> is at hand. He told people that they needed to repent, they needed to change from living their self-centered lives uh, to receive God's offer of salvation. Now, he focused that ministry first at Galilee, at Capernaum, uh, by the Sea of Galilee. But now uh, was the time that God has selected for him to return to Nazareth and extend that same offer to them, the people that he grew up with. <clears throat> now, we see in this passage when he does it, it said when he had come to his own country, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished. And uh, that reminds us that Jesus uh, went through an astonishing transformation in, from their perspective. Uh, they knew him. Uh, we see in this passage as the carpenter's son. He, he grew up in their midst, and as was fitting, uh, a child or a son would follow the trade of his father. He was probably working in Joseph's uh, carpentry shop, <clears throat> making chairs and tables and anything that the people of Nazareth uh, needed. And that's how they knew Jesus. And now he came, and he was preaching a message like no one uh, has ever heard before. Some examples of that we have in Matthew 7. And so it was when Jesus had ended his sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus taught as no one else has ever taught before. He taught with the full authority of God. And that was astonishing. In John 7, we have a report of uh, the chief priests and Pharisees sending out officers to arrest Jesus while he was preaching. <clears throat> and then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? Why did you fail to arrest Jesus as we asked you to? And the officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. Jesus preached the word of God, the truth of God, as no one could because he was God. He knew that truth and he could preach it with the authority of God. And how astonishing it is would have been for the people of Nazareth to see the carpenter's son preaching with that full authority in the synagogue. Absolutely astonishing. Not to mention his mighty works, which they referred to. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Jesus was doing miracles. He was uh, healing people from diseases much more severe than COVID-19. Uh, he was... Uh, giving sight to the blind. He was uh, allowing those who could not walk to walk. Uh, he even raised the dead. We don't know how many of these miracles Jesus performed in the midst. We're told that he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief, but they may have heard reports from Capernaum and other places. It wasn't so far uh, between the two places. Certainly, <coughs> the words, the reports of what Jesus has done 
in Capernaum would have filtered uh, to Nazareth. So they were uh, astonished. Now, we see um, that they were not just astonished, uh, but they were actually offended by Jesus. We're told uh, that they said, Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. Why were they offended at Jesus? Well, they felt that um, Jesus was acting above his station. Uh, Carpenter's son shouldn't be speaking as he was speaking in the synagogue. Where did he have the right to do that? Uh, They felt that um, he was acting above his relations. Uh, They expected uh, a person to follow in his family's footsteps. And uh, Joseph and Mary and uh, Jesus' brothers and sisters were ordinary folks, uh, probably not especially high in society. They were not noble, they were not rich, uh, they were not religious leaders. And so Jesus didn't have the right to speak as he spoke and to do what he did uh, in the eyes of the people of Nazareth, and therefore uh, they didn't receive him. They didn't accept him. They didn't accept his word uh, to them. It was perhaps uh, like a person playing the recorder uh, with uh, the white belt uh, from, from Joy's view or uh, the view of other people in the classrooms my kids were in, stepping up to the teacher's stand and saying, I want to teach you how to play the recorder. How would you have liked that, Nessia? <laughs> yeah, it would have seemed uh, greatly out of place. And so they rejected him because of that. Uh, and so Jesus is uh, giving them here uh, a warning. It says, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and in his own house. <clears throat> what Jesus is, is speaking here is perhaps a truism, something that is just generally uh, true. Uh, prophets, uh, someone who rose out of the, of the uh, common people, uh, could go elsewhere and preach as a prophet, and perhaps people would listen to them. Uh, I think perhaps of Elijah, who was, uh, I believe, a shepherd, and he, he was called out to, uh, to be a prophet. And in some places, people may have listened to him and respected him. But in others, people would have said, hey, you're a shepherd. You should go back to tending your flock. Uh, Elisha was a farmer. And uh, he was well respected in some parts of Israel. But perhaps when he went back to Anatot, the people said, uh, you're just a farmer. And you're not taking care of your fields. Uh, We don't want to hear what you have to say. So it would have been a general problem. But in the case of the people of Nazareth, they were under a peculiar uh, danger because Jesus came as the Savior of the world. He came to offer them eternal life. And of all people, they were the ones who were the most in greatest danger of not esteeming Jesus 
as he ought to be esteemed because they saw him as the carpenter's son. He was warning them, you're, you're, you're falling into a trap and you must escape this trap. You cannot regard me based on the fact that, that I grew up in your midst and you perhaps uh, did not esteem me all my life. You must recognize me as who I actually am. That was their particular danger. Uh, as a result of, of their um, rejection of Jesus, they missed out on, on the blessings he came to offer them. Verse 53, now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. In Capernaum, uh, many, many were helped by Jesus. Practically, they, they were healed of their, of their diseases. They were healed of, of blindness, deformities. Uh, they were healed of demon possession. Some were raised from the dead. Uh, wonderful things, wonderful blessings that Jesus brought into the world just with his earthly ministry, which the people of Nazareth missed out on because they rejected Jesus. Uh, but we know that their greatest uh, loss wasn't missing out on Jesus' uh, earthly blessings, but really the eternal blessings he came to give them. He came to offer them eternal life, and because of their rejection of him, they missed out on that eternal life. We trust that later some would have repented, some would have received the Lord Jesus. But at this particular time, we know Jesus was rejected by them to their own loss. How can we apply this passage to ourselves? This was a unique danger to the people of Nazareth. They, uh, they saw Jesus growing up and therefore... Uh, rejected him based simply on the fact that he seemed to be usurping uh, his, his position uh, out of the social ladder that they thought he should be part of. We don't have that particular danger. But uh, we or people today could similarly miss out on God's blessing because of pride. The Bible says that God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. People might think of themselves as, as wise and uh, as a result uh, miss out on God's blessing. They might think themselves as, as all-sufficient for their wealth and as a result miss out on God's uh, blessings. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.26, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. It is a characteristic of the gospel that uh, those who are successful in this world are more likely to reject it. But those who are less successful in this world are the ones who tend to receive it and its blessings. So I thought it might be beneficial to think about that a little bit and see the evidence of that uh, in the scripture. <clears throat> we see, for example, when uh, Jesus is approached by the rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler is practically offering himself to Jesus and says, uh, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus, uh, after questioning him, 
about his own sense of uh, spiritual need uh, instructs him to sell all that he has and give it to the poor. And the man, it says the man went away sad because he, he was very wealthy. He didn't want to give up on his wealth. And it says Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, riches could uh, prevent us just as much as uh, well, we think we are on the social ladder uh, because we might think that we're good enough because of the wealth that we have. Uh, we think perhaps that uh, God should be happy to have us on his side because of uh, the money uh, that we could offer for the service of his kingdom. We might uh, trust in, in our money to get us through all the difficulties of life, and so we don't think we need God uh, to help us at all. Paul similarly warns us about uh, the danger of, of thinking we're wise. <clears throat> In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Uh, this was a particular problem for me I can identify with. I, I thought I was pretty smart. Uh, I did well in school and uh, felt that uh, I could figure out any problem that came my way. And uh, when I started uh, seeking the Lord as you would, uh, actually it came around partly through Calvary, through uh, Sharon invited me to church, and then me going to a Bible study. I thought I could figure things out. <clears throat> but I was trying to fit God and the message of God into my understanding, into my wisdom. Uh, and the two clashed. They didn't fit together until finally I gave up on my ability of understanding the gospel by myself. And it was then that God opened my eyes uh, to understand the gospel. I had to give up on the wisdom of this world in order to be able to receive the wisdom of God. So holding on to our wisdom or thinking that we're wise uh, could prevent us from, again, the benefit of God's blessings. Paul was a very religious man, and uh, he recognized that his religiosity, his good works themselves, uh, kept him away from God. <clears throat> he says in Philippians chapter 3, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I 
more so. Paul was confident in his righteous standing before God because of his good works, and he lists them here. Uh, Circumcised on the eighth day. I was, you know, how good could that be? How much better can it get than that? Of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul thought he had it all. He thought he had the perfect standing before God because of his uh, religious works. And yet, he says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. He realized all these things, rather than bringing him closer to God, kept him from God. Why? Because he was trusting in his own good works as being good enough to make him right with God. What he thought was his, his gain, his asset, was actually a liability. And so it is with uh, riches, so it is with wisdom, so it is with social status. When we look at those things as what uh, constitute our self-worth, they become a liability uh, instead of an asset. They don't bring us blessing, they keep us away from God's blessings. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let me think of a, of a turning around a little bit as an illustration, again, going to, uh, to Joey and his recorder playing. Uh, let's say there was a master musician. Not only uh, he was a person who could play perfectly, but he was also the perfect teacher, and he had the gift of teaching anyone else how to become a master musician. How would you like to have someone like that help you and make you a master musician? Joey uh, perhaps thought that he could play the recorder well because he, he attained a, a first-degree black belt, but I'll be honest, uh, Joey was never a master musician. He's still not a master musician. And... Uh, this black belt was really just a way of his music teacher trying to encourage the students to get better and better. But Joy never attained uh, a mastery of, of playing the recorder. Let's say that this master musician came to Joy's class and uh, to prove, prove his mastery, he started at the white belt and knocked out belt after belt after belt after belt, attained to the highest belt possible and then finally recognized as a master musician, he could then take the teacher's stand and teach the students, if the students would be humble enough to receive him. Of course, they could be proud and say, no, 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 I remember you were at white while I was at black first degree. I will never accept your mastery over me. They would be denying themselves the benefit of the master musician teaching them so they could themselves become master musicians. But if they were humble, they could receive that blessing from him. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, But to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. That is, 
Christ's desire in coming to the world was to give us gifts. In particular, the gift of eternal life, but really all gifts in that one gift. It says, now this, he ascended, what does it mean by that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? That is why we found Jesus in our midst as a carpenter's son, because he descended all the way down. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now Jesus has ascended to sit on the right hand of the throne of God, from there to dispense his gifts to all. So let us think about that perhaps in regards to social status. The people of Nazareth that were above Jesus in the social scale may have thought of themselves as, as somebody. Uh, maybe they were merchants, uh, bankers, lawyers, doctors, uh, religious leaders, uh, the mayor of the town. They might have thought themselves pretty high. But uh, if you were to take a step back and look at all of Galilee, uh, the people of Galilee did not esteem the people of Nazareth very much. They said, uh, one of them said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You shouldn't be so proud if you're somebody in Nazareth because Nazareth isn't that special. Now let's take it a step back out of uh, Galilee and go to uh, the land of Israel and go to Jerusalem. Well, they would look down at Nazareth quite a bit more. There's far more impressive people in, in Jerusalem. Well, let's take a step back and go to Rome and be in, in Rome's uh, in Caesar's court in Rome, and you'd be looking down at people at Nazareth. You think you're somebody, but really you're nobody. And let's take a step back from Rome and stand in the throne room of heaven, and from there look at the people of Nazareth who, who thought they, they were somebody, but we would find that they were nobodies. In fact, they were, in a sense, less than nobodies because they were sinners. They were children of wrath. The only thing they had a right for was God's judgment. And, uh, but Jesus came, it says in, in John 1, 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. And, and that fits uh, the people of Nazareth, Nazareth better than anybody else. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. They could be children of God because Jesus came to give them that right. He came to elevate the social status, not to diminish them. He came to give them that gift. Let's think perhaps about uh, those who, uh, who thought, uh, who think they, they are rich in this world. And they, they hold on with pride to the riches. Uh, I've heard uh, this week that Elon Musk rose to the status of the third richest person in the world. Uh, he has over $100 billion in, uh, in stock and cash and property and who knows what else, right? He is the owner of very successful companies. <coughs> uh, but... Uh, if we were to look at uh, Jesus' uh, 
speaking to, to his disciples about riches. He says, therefore, <coughs> if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Uh, Jesus looks at, uh, at the money of the earth, mammon, riches, uh, as something that uh, could be uh, more of a liability uh, than an asset. It is unrighteous mammon. Uh, and something that isn't really your own, it belongs to another man. What does he mean by that? Well, all the money you have, all the assets you have, don't really belong to you. They belong to God. And the way we know it is one day, God will take it back to himself. When uh, Elon Musk dies, how much of his $100 billion does he get to keep? None of it, right? It's not really his. And, uh, and so Jesus is speaking here about true riches and that which is our own. Jesus came to give us the true riches, meaning things that are of eternal value, and things that will be mine forever. Nobody can take from me what Jesus gives to me. Right? That's the true, the true riches. That is, the, uh, that is what Jesus came to give us. Uh, we will have our own resources in heaven. Right? And they will be our own. And no one will ever take it from us. Right? And that is what Jesus... Uh, came to give, not to take away riches from people, but to give us riches, to make us truly wealthy. Uh, let's think about uh, wisdom. We, uh, we like to think that we're smart. You'll find uh, people talking about uh, science and uh, perhaps the victory of, of human knowledge in COVID-19. We're very clever in uh, being able to detect this small virus, the coronavirus. And uh, we were very clever in being able to create a vaccine. It remains to be seen, but it looks like it's very effective and, and could really help us against it. But uh, all of these things we're discovering are things that God already knew. And God knows a lot more than we do about the coronavirus. He knows a lot more than we do about everything around us in nature. He knows a lot more than we do about all the laws of the universe. All these things the scientists are discovering uh, are probably just a drop in a bucket of what there is to be known just about the physical universe. Right? And science runs into a complete wall when it comes to the spiritual universe or the things that are supernatural. In fact, it's such a world that science will just deny it outright. It will say it doesn't exist. God doesn't exist. Miracles don't exist. Why? Because we can't control them in a laboratory. Well, I'm sorry, but your laboratory doesn't define what's real, right? Just because God is outside of your control doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. And that's why in the passage uh, that we read, where Paul says, if anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. 
says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. All these things that people believe that are contrary to God are just not true and therefore foolish. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile, they're empty. They're, they're simply wrong. They just don't know the truth. Right? And that is the extent of the wisdom of this world that some will hold on to in pride and say, I'm better than other people because I'm wiser. And God says, your wisdom is foolish. Your wisdom is nothing. You don't know anything. But God came to change us. Right? He came to give us true wisdom, true knowledge of himself. And uh, last we had uh, Paul and his uh, religiosity, uh, his pride in his self-righteousness. And, uh, and he realized that those things were a loss. And then he says, Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So he comes to give us righteousness. So God didn't come into this world to take away from us our value, but he came to give us those things which are of true value. And uh, what we need to be careful is that we don't, with our own ideas of uh, what makes us valuable, like the people of Nazareth, like those who are rich, like those who are wise, uh, like those who, who uh, might appear to be religious in this world, not to miss out on God's true blessing by receiving uh, them all from Christ, because he came to give us all these things. All, all the blessings of God are found in Christ. And he offers them to all freely. And we can receive them all uh, by receiving them as a child, by uh, being humble, because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus and the fact that uh, he came into this world to uh, give himself as a gift uh, and all gifts to us in that one gift. Lord, we are sorry that uh, we often uh, tend to be proud and, and think that uh, we, uh, we have something when we, in truth we have nothing. Uh, we... Uh, thank you that uh, we can have all things uh, through you for free because Christ has paid the price of all the gifts that we can receive through him on the cross. So we thank you for him and, um, and ask for your uh, blessing on us as, a, as we depart into a week uh, that we will walk close to you and enjoy all your blessings for us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.